It's just that no one had done anything like this before. Almost everyone I spoke to told me not to do this pathway. One board certification short of a divorce. Okay, folks, this month on the EM Stud podcast, we kind of got some big hitters coming up to the plate. So we've got a guy named Haney Malamet who is with us today on our show. And the reason I brought Haney on is because he does something a little bit different. And we've been doing a series on what I want to do when I grow up. And Haney's taken a very unique and special pathway through his medical education. And that's allowed him to really do some amazing things. And so I really want to bring him on the show to show people that not everybody who does an emergency medicine residency has to standard do emergency medicine. So right now, we're going to introduce you to Haney Malamet, and he's going to tell us what he did when he grew up. Haney, thanks for being on the show, brother. Oh, thanks for having me here, Scott. It's really a pleasure. That's cool. So uh, if you don't know who Haney Malamet is, uh, first of all, you haven't been involved in emergency medicine for very long because Haney's a guy that I got to meet at the ASEP Teaching Fellowship and have just watched his trajectory go. I'm talking supersonic, guys. So if you're at a conference that's worth anything, if you've heard a podcast that a lot of people listen to, if you've been on any of the FOMED blogs, you already know who Haney Malamed is. So Haney, for those who might not know you, there might be two or three people in this galaxy. Why don't you tell them a little bit more about yourself? <laughs> Well, thanks for having me here, Scott. It's uh, it's really a pleasure. Uh, you're a good friend for a while. And uh, let me tell you what I do. Uh, so I trained in emergency medicine and internal medicine. And when I was done with that, I went on to do a critical care fellowship because I always had the sense that I was going to do emergency medicine, but I also wanted to do critical care medicine. So when I was training and when I was doing, going through my residency, there was no pathway to get critical care board certified. And I really knew that I wanted to get critical care board certification. So I kind of took the long road and doing an EMIM residency was five years. And then adding another two on there um, took me to seven years. And what I got with that was a lot of grief from my wife, but I also got the ability to be board certified in critical care medicine. So that's just a little bit about me. Man, so you are internal medicine, emergency medicine, and critical care, triple boarded? Is that right? That's right. I'm actually uh, one board certification short of a divorce. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You, you have the world's most amazing wife, I'm sure. <laughs> she is an amazing, amazing woman. Deserves all the credit. Fantastic. Yes, uh, the women behind the men are uh, much more strong than us. So let's, let's talk, man. What was the backstory on this? Was there an experience? Was there a patient? Was there a mentor? Was there a time when you thought, gosh, you know, I really think that critical care medicine is where I, I belong. I mean, how did you decide on that pathway? That, that's a great question, and it, it, it's, um, it's funny that you asked that. So I'm a big believer in finding a good mentor or good mentors. I think that this landscape is so broad in medicine that you have to find someone that really speaks to you and um, helps guide you through. That being said, there was not a single person I could find 
who did this pathway. And in fact, almost everyone I spoke to told me not to do this pathway. The views expressed by Dr. Melamed do not represent those of the EM Stud podcast. We strongly urge you to take it the advice of your mentors and advisors, unless that is you are Haney Melamed. Um, they said, this has never been done before. This is way too long. You're sacrificing good years of income when you could be out there working. Um, why do you want to do this? Um, so for really the first time in my life, I went with my gut when everything else said to do some, when everyone else said to do something else. And it was a very unsettling feeling, but I just knew in my heart that to do critical care medicine, something I really wanted to do, I had to do a board certification for it. A lot of people were doing emergency medicine and doing these um, um, non-accredited fellowship programs where they would get really good intensive care training. I mean, they were really, really good intensivists, but at the end of it, they didn't have a board certification. And I saw they struggle to get jobs in big academic centers. So I didn't want to be in that position. I wanted to be sure that I could get a job anywhere I wanted to be because I didn't know where I wanted to practice. Maybe I want to be somewhere in a big city, um, you know, with competing with people who had board certification. Maybe I want to work in a small rural hospital somewhere. I just wanted to call the shots. And for that reason, I sort of went against the grain of all my mentors and did this pathway. And, you know, I got to say that I'm really glad I listened um, to my internal voice because it took me here and I'm very happy going into work every day. That being said, nothing against my mentors. It's just that no one had done anything like this before, and I just think they were trying to give me the best advice they could, and, and that was, you know, don't go too experimental on your career. Good advice, but, you know, again, just listening to that voice, I, I followed it, and, and luckily it worked out. Man, and that's really the, I think, trailblazer that you are. I mean, that's just so cool. I, I still, I don't know anybody else that's gone this pathway. I, I don't see it. And so, um, yeah, what an amazing story. What do you do really on a daily basis? I mean, how do you work both ICU, ED? Uh, how does that really look in your life with your schedule? So essentially it works like this. Every two weeks I flip-flop between a different schedule. So I'll be on a two-week block in the ICU, and then I'll flip over to two weeks in the emergency department. Every department likes the fact that I work in a different department but even though I'm half-time in each department, each of my bosses from each respective de department expects me to be a full-time employee for them and, and de devote my entire time to teaching and working for them. So that's really what makes it difficult. It's hard to leave for the other two weeks and do the other thing when there's still expectations for you. But essentially, the two weeks that I'm on service, I am 100% clinically involved in that service. And the other two weeks that I'm off... I'm completely involved in the other things. What I try to do to be really efficient is I try to find projects that involve both the ED and the ICU because there's a lot of overlap between the two, and I try to be a liaison between the two. This way, I look good for both sides, but I'm not doing unique um, work for either of those units. I'm sort of doing things that bridge the two together, and I look like a hero on both ends. Gotcha, gotcha. So I can see there's a lot of advantages here, and you mentioned some of those. Um, what are what are some of the other advantages you see? And then in a second, we'll get on to disadvantages. So what are the other advantages that you see in this uh, pathway you took? 
Well, I just, for me, I find the personal satisfaction of taking care of patients who are really sick when they hit the door and then also when they get better upstairs in the ICU. So I see patients throughout a spectrum of their hospital stay. So to me, that's an advantage. The advantage of doing emergency medicine, to be honest with you, is that there are some weeks where I just basically want to go in, do some shifts, and I really just want to leave the hospital and go do my thing outside the hospital. And being on shifts, not carrying a pager for those two weeks is really great. And then the other side of things is I get to fulfill that um, sense of achievement when I'm on service for a complete week in a row, when I get to work with families, when I get to take people who come into the ICU very sick and watch them leave the ICU. All another rewarding part of the ICU is I also get to take patients who are extremely sick and help them in the process of dying and helping the families come to terms with that. And I think that's something where shift systems wouldn't work because they need a consistent thread every day for a week. Sometimes it takes several days for families to make these decisions, um, and I'm the common thread that they see every day. So that's been a benefit for me working in the ICU and the ED. Gotcha. Yeah, man, that sounds really amazing. That's cool. Now, it can't just all be lands of milk and honey. I mean, certainly there's got to be some downsides to it. So tell me what maybe some of the downsides are that that people might want to consider before they they jump on this train. So one of the disadvantages was something I mentioned already, and that's the fact that um, neither boss, you know, really sees you as a part-time employee. They see you as full-time and they expect full-time stuff out of you. So that can be frustrating when you're not in the ED, for example, um, and the ED boss wants you to do a project or write a paper or do something else, and you'd like to just be in an ICU-type focus, and, and vice versa. That can be really frustrating sometimes, um, and sometimes it just requires you just to be firm and say, listen, I just can't do it. I'll be back in the ED in you know a week or two weeks, whatever the case may be, and I'll get to that. Um, the other frustrating thing is is that this pathway took took a certain amount of time. And I personally enjoyed the journey every step of the way because I never really saw training as being this um, prison or, or um, you know, this detention that I was in. And, you know, I'm in it for seven years and one day I'm going to be free and liberated. I really enjoyed the process all along and I lived life so that, yes, I didn't make the salary that I'm making now during training, but I also had fun and I went on vacations and I really tried to enjoy life. So it it was seven years, but it, you know, it kind of flew by. Other people, however, don't see it that way. And there are a certain fraction of people that go through residency and they're, they just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and they just can't wait to be done. So seven years might be too long of a road for some people. And um, what I hope to um, convey in this podcast is that people really have to be sure of the pathway they're on and they have to love the pathway they're on. Otherwise, seven years is going to feel like 70 years if you don't enjoy the journey and if you don't truly believe that what you're doing is your calling, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so I mean, you're, you're 63 now and you've been out of fellowship for about two years. And That's right. <laughs> things are working <laughs> exactly. out well. But man, it's really allowed you to do some, I mean, truly amazing things. I mean, so tell us what opportunities this pathway has opened up for you that maybe others, maybe like me, I only did emergency medicine, might not have. What opportunities have you seen? It's really incredible, and uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give my experiences as a, a testament for, for why people should do 
this pathway. I can only tell you why I'm so happy that I did this pathway for me. And that's because I've always wanted to do education and I've always wanted to sort of be a speaker. I mean, that was that was the thing that got me jazzed up during residency. So all that being said, doing this pathway and getting this much training has allowed me to speak and become, uh, you know, somewhat of an expert, if you will, on a very focused topic, and that's critical care and resuscitation, which is a little bit of a niche um, type topic in the emergency department, but I think it's a topic that a lot of emergency physicians and some intensivists like to like to learn more about. So doing this training allowed me to become, you know, really focused on this and then get opportunities to speak on it first off in, you know, a very regional type setting and then getting invited to some national lectures and then having the fortune of being um, invited internationally. And then other things come about. Uh, you get invited to do great podcasts with your friends like you. And um, and then you get to speak to a broader audience of people that I would have never had a chance to speak to. Um, I've had opportunities to work on some online educational material. Um, so I guess if I could summarize everything into, into one bullet point, whenever you're going to decide to do something, you, you know, within a specialty, it's important to find a niche. It's important to find a need that you can provide. And it should be something that you really enjoy doing, but it should be something unique. Uh, and emergency medicine is a great specialty because it's not specific. But if you can find something within emergency medicine that separates you out from everyone else, people are going to come to you and ask you your opinion on things. They're going to ask you to do things. And it just affords you a really great opportunity to do something. And, and that's one of the things I've been fortunate about um, with my particular pathway. That's so cool. And I, I think you're, it's a great example of how people can find that niche and then really the sky's the limit. And so, man, what a great, great story. Scott, I want to tell you about one thing that I come across very often with people who are interested in doing critical care. Um, and that's this perception that critical care medicine is emergency medicine upstairs. And um, so it's very kind of sexy right now for people who are thinking about emergency medicine or doing an emergency medicine residency to say, yeah, I want to do critical care when I'm done. And there's this perception that like upstairs in the unit, um, people are getting their chest cracked. There's intubations that are happening. People are getting their neck cut all the time. Um, and I got to tell you that if I'm re-intubating someone in the ICU, that is a complete failure. Um, ICU medicine should be relatively boring, and I often call it, I call it internal medicine with intubated patients because it's a lot of number crunching on a day-by-day -day basis. You're looking at urine outputs. You're looking at electrolytes. You're looking at diuresing patients. It really shouldn't be exciting because the goal in ICU is to take someone who's really critically ill and let them down easily into a normal state of physiology. So I bring that up because I see a lot of people going to critical care for the wrong reasons. So Haney, what do you think we should do? If somebody's interested in that, what advice would you give them to make sure they're not making that mistake that you speak of? The advice I have for people is that if you really think you want to do critical care during one of your sub-eyes, if you're a medical student, or if you're a resident during one of your rotations, is try to be the junior fellow. That means going on the fellow schedule, follow them around, be their shadow. If they're doing Q3 call, then you do Q3 call. If they're going to see 10 consults, then you go see 10 consults. Don't be like an armchair medical student. Go do what they do. And if you can live up 
to their lifestyle and really enjoy it with the same passion as you thought you did, then it's the right thing for you. But if you go through and say, man, that was the most boring rotation or you couldn't wait to go home, it's not the right thing for you because that's what you're going to be doing on a daily basis. And I've actually mentored a few people who I've given this advice to and they thought they wanted to do critical care and they've done a 180 and say, there's no way I want to do critical care. So we do know there's a couple of other ways people might try to do critical care. What do you think about some of the back doors, the around the back approaches that people might consider taking? Can you speak to that concept at all? You can certainly do a resuscitation fellowship, which is an emergency medicine-based fellowship where you're exploring more critical care within the emergency department. That would be a wise thing to do, but it's very different than doing a critical care fellowship, which again is internal medicine patients who are intubated. Yeah, I never thought about it that way Um, because I kind of do have a a sexy idea in my mind about what happens up there. And I think the thoughts crossed a lot of people's minds about maybe that's kind of what I need to do. So I think you've really kind of framed it out well for us. I think we've got a much better understanding of what it looks like that when we grow up, if we want to be EM, critical care, that might be what it looks like for us. So, Haney, thank you so much for being on the show today. If we want to get a hold of you, how do we reach you? So, I'm always available. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you that social media on over Twitter is an easy way to get a hold of me. My handle is at criticalcarenow. That'd be the easiest way. Of course, if people want to email me, I'm always available. My email is haney.malamat at gmail.com. And, and please feel free to put that on, on the show notes and have people contact me. Well, there you go, folks. You've heard it from the man, the myth, the legend, Haney Malamet. E-M-I-M, critical care, E-M stud. There you go. Thanks for having me on today. Well, that's another episode in the bag. On behalf of my colleague, Dr. Nate, this is your E-Med coach, Dr. Scott Weeders, signing off for another edition of the E-M stud podcast. Please go to our website at www.cdemcurriculum.com. That's clerkship directors in emergency medicine.com. Rotate well, my friends. I was flying Yeah, running